Job chapter 13 and verse number 8. Job 13 and verse 8. And then we're going to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7. Job 13, 8, and then Genesis 4 and 7. Just two verses of scripture. Job 13, verse 8. There are two questions that are asked here in the book of Job, in this, in this passage, in this verse, I should say. Um, two questions that Job asks. The first one is where I really want to focus today. Job 13, verse 8, he says, Will ye accept his person? Will ye contend for God? Now, the question that Job asks, when you take it in context, it's obvious from the second question, will you contend for God, that it is God about whom he is speaking when he says, will you accept his person? And so the question could be rephrased this way, will you accept God? Will you accept God? Turning now to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7. Genesis 4 and verse 7. Now the first one was Job asking about God. The second one is God talking to man. Genesis 4 verse 7. God said, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now, God asks the question, or, or makes, this, makes a statement, question here, if, if you do well, it's a rhetorical question, the the answer is obvious. If you do well, shall you not be accepted? Or we could say it this way. If you do well, you will be accepted. Now, accepted by whom? By God. And so, in Job, Job asks, will you accept God? And God says, if you do well, I will accept you. And so the title of this study today is Accepting or Being Accepted. Accepting or Being Accepted. Would you put your Bibles down? Let's pray today. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Let's ask the Lord to enlighten minds. And once again, I ask the church to remember that there are those who listen to these messages online and it is possible for God to give them revelation as they listen so would you pray to that end right now? Would you join with me in prayer? Everybody, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, Father, we come before you, God, recognizing, confessing my need of you. God, I can't do this by myself. Lord God, or it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's going to be by your spirit. If you'll anoint me, if you'll use me, God, then I know God good can come of it. Lord God, if it's only the efforts of my mind and my abilities, God, then there can be no lasting good. I ask for your
ask for your anointing, not only upon me, but upon the hearers as well today. God, let the will of the Holy Ghost be accomplished, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to I want to take you to yet another question this morning as we start this study. Acts chapter 16 and verse number 30. Uh, this is Paul and Silas uh, having been cast into prison. They prayed, they sang praises to God. The Lord sent an earthquake, uh, set them free of their bonds, uh, opened the doors of the prison. The, the jailer was ready to kill himself. He knew what kind of trouble he was going to be in with all the prisoners now being free. And uh, he then asks a question of Paul and Silas. Uh, in Acts 16 and verse 30, he says this. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be What saved? must I do to be saved? I, I'm going to tell you that this question of salvation is as old as man himself. It has always been the question, what must I do to be saved? Tell me how to fix the problem of sin in my life. The problem that we have is that the answers that are given are just about as diverse as mankind itself. There are so many differing answers as to what it takes to be saved. And, and so that's why we've got to start out with an agreement amongst us. We've got to agree that we are going to let the word of God be our only reliable source uh, to find the answers that we need. John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus said this. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. Now, listen to me, my friend. We have got to understand there's a whole lot of writing out there where people have made statements about salvation. You can go to the websites uh, by the thousands if you just look up what must I do to be saved. And you're going to find thousands of answers. You can talk to well-known evangelists. You can talk to not-so-well-known evangelists. You, you can find all kinds of answers, and a lot of them different from one another. And so that's why if we're going to get anywhere, we've got to start from the premise that only the Bible provides us with a source that we know is absolutely the truth. I don't care how reliable the person is. I don't care how highly respected the person is. I don't care how large his crusades are. I don't care how massive his following is. I don't care if he has the maximum allowable number of friends on Facebook. None of that matters. He may mean well, he may be sincere, but he may be sincerely wrong. And so we have got to agree that, that whatever we're going to believe, it's got to be based on the word of God. 
Hallelujah. And, and I've stressed this over and over and over, but the opinions of man are meaningless when it comes to eternity. It's not our opinion that's going to save us. Hallelujah. But it's what the word of God says. Romans chapter 3 verse 4. Let me just remind you of this. Romans 3 and 4. God forbid. Yea, let God be true. But every man a liar. Let God be true. But every man a liar. This is one of the things that I'm really, really having to stress in Africa. Because so many of these men that are being converted to the truth are, um, you know, they're, they're coming out of circles of fellowship and, and friendships and, and denominations and organizations where everybody there believed the same thing. And now all of a sudden they're being told everybody they've trusted is wrong. And so they have got to agree with Paul when Paul said, let God be true. And every man, I mean, he didn't make any exceptions. Paul did not say, you know, if the majority thinks this way, then that's got to be right. Paul said, I don't care if 100% of humanity thinks different than God. The whole of humanity is wrong and God's right. Hallelujah. Another thing that I'm having to really work with them on, and it's important for each of us to remember is that we cannot elevate our traditions over God's truth. Let's read Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Who do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered unto them and said, Why do ye also transgress the commandments of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say of his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. And honor not his father or mother, he shall be free. Thus ye have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, The people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart be far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines. Teaching the for doctrines, the commandments of men. Now, you know, I don't want to go into the depth of what this passage is talking about. Just, just to give you a brief explanation, the law obviously required that people honor their father and mother, but... There were certain Jews, perhaps would get crossways with their parents. Imagine that. You know, it's not just a problem among the Jews. Uh, for whatever reason, they get crossways with their parents, and, and uh, they start doing well in life, and rather than helping their parents, well, I'm going to give this to God. I'm just, you know, this is, my, this is my offering to God. And it was really their way of keeping it out of the hands of their parents. Uh, and, and they... They felt like that in doing this, they were still uh, obeying the commandments. But Jesus said, no, this has become a tradition among you. And your tradition now is more important than what the scripture actually says. Your tradition has offered an insight into scripture that isn't there. And you got to get back to the scripture. 
And, and listen, believe it or not, saints, this, this really is one of the biggest challenges that we face because people have put their own spin on scriptures. And we tend to pick that scripture up and look at it in the light of the way we've heard others explain it. And we don't, we, we don't just look at the scripture for what it says. We don't take it as it's written. We take it through the, 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 the tainted perspective of someone else. I, I, you know, I don't, again, I'm trying to, to not get too sidetracked in all this, but it's much like grace. If I were to just ask today for a definition of grace, I don't know how many of you, but I'm sure there would be a sizable number of you that would say, well, it's the unmerited favor of God. Because that's the way it's been defined by tradition. That's not the scriptural definition of grace. That's the traditional definition. But because of that tradition, many people, when they read grace, that's what they think. And so every time they read about grace, it is tainted with that perspective. Are you following me? That's what the Jews were doing. Their teachers, their rabbis had come up with their own perspective as to what the scripture meant. And then the perspective of the rabbi became more important than the scripture itself. Hallelujah. And so Jesus said, look, you know, you're worried about my disciples not washing their hands when they eat. Now, look, again, I'm, I'm trying not to get too sidetracked, but let's face it. If they didn't wash their hands before they ate, that's a bit disgusting. But it's not something to start a theological debate about because they're only hurting themselves. They're the ones consuming whatever germs are on their fingers. They're not hurting anybody else, but it's a violation of our tradition. And Jesus said, well, let me tell you something. You have violated the word of God because your tradition has become so important to you. And this is what every one of us have to avoid. We have got to learn it. And I say this again, I say it in Africa all the time. But, but listen, we really need to make it a practice that every time we open the Bible, we open our minds. Amen. And we open our hearts. Amen. And we let God talk to us, not based on what we think it means. But we just let God speak. Hallelujah. So when it comes to this question that we began this lesson with, uh, with, with the jailer asking, what must I do to be saved? Let me just tell you, there may be a myriad of answers, but there's only one answer that is correct. And that answer is the one that is stated in the word of God. So no matter who's giving you some other idea, we got to find it in the scripture. And when we find it in the scripture, it becomes truth that is paramount over anything else we have ever heard or believed. Do you understand the safety in this? I don't know if we really have ever stopped to think about how safe this practice is. Do you know why cults 
are able to bring in followers. Do you know why people accept it? It's because they quit letting the word of God be paramount. Do you hear me? They let somebody else tell them what they need to do. And listen to me, church. There is such safety in me constantly drilling into your hearts and your minds. It's the scripture that's right. It's the scripture that's right. It's the scripture that's right. I've got no intention on ever veering from the truth that I believe. I have no intention on ever walking away from this message. But you hear me? I am human. Right. And I am just as susceptible to error as anybody else. And that's why I tell you, you get this book down. You study this book. You learn this book. You know what the scripture teaches. Hallelujah. And that's why when you hear me teach, when you hear me preach, I don't just give you one scripture and then just talk to you the rest of the message. But I'm going to take you through verse after verse after verse. I want to establish in your minds that what I'm telling you is based on the word of God. I'm not the source of truth. The scripture is. Right. Hallelujah. There's safety in this attitude. We will not go into error as long as we hold the scripture as the only source of absolute truth. Praise God. So we're going to let the scripture tell us what is the correct answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? And in order to establish that answer, we're going to, we're going to first of all, uh, consider the most widespread incorrect answer and then address it from the scripture all right i think you could probably tell that by the title that i've put on this lesson but we're, we're going to deal with what has become the most common answer when people are asked what to do to be saved this one answer has spread throughout christian circles like wildfire and has become the answer. I'm telling you, I see it. It's, it's, it's all around the world. Now, as I was preparing for this lesson, I did a search under the phrase, how can I be saved? Of course, I found many, many, many websites, many, many answers. Um, I won't name these sites for you, but, but uh, here is one website listed five steps to salvation. All right? Five steps to salvation. Number one, know that God loves you, wants to give you a, good, a, a new life. Number two, see that your sin has separated you from God and the life he desires to give you. Number three, realize that Jesus Christ died for you and rose again so that he might give you eternal life. Number four, confess your sins to God and turn away from them to serve God faithfully. And number five, receive Jesus by faith, accepting him alone as your Lord and Savior. Now, I'm okay, I'm okay with steps one through four. I think that I could take you to the scripture and verify these things as being needful. But when they got to number five, they lost me. 
Because they said, receive Jesus by faith and accept him as your Lord and Savior. There is no Bible for that. Another website lists four steps to salvation. Number one, God loves you. Number two, all of us have done, said, or thought things that are wrong. That's called sin, and our sins have separated us from God. Number three, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And number four, if you want to accept Christ as your Savior, turn from your sins, you can ask him to be your Savior and Lord by praying a prayer. And then they then give you an example of what that prayer is. So once again, they're telling you just to accept the Lord. You know, some of you will remember that's how this whole work in Africa first began, is when a when a minister, a pastor, a head of an organization from Zimbabwe came into my office and I just asked him to tell me how to be saved. And his response was, accept the Lord as your Savior and you're saved. And I then said, show me the scripture that says that. That was the beginning of what's going on in Africa right now. Because there is no Bible uh, there is no Bible for accepting the Lord. And in fact, that conversation, many of you have heard me tell it before, but, but I asked him, I said, what, what, do you, what, what would I have to do to be saved? He said, accept the Lord as your Savior and you're saved. I said, all right, now tell me where the Bible says that. And, and he said, well, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I said, that's a beautiful scripture. Wonderful scripture. But that scripture doesn't say what you said. You told me to accept the Lord. I want to know where is the verse that says accept the Lord. And he sat there for a long time. His Bible opened in his lap. He dropped his head. He just stared at the pages of his Bible for a long time. And finally, without even looking up at me, he said, that's not in the Bible. And I responded to him by saying, you're right, it's not. So why are you telling people to do something the Bible does not tell them to do? Now, I'm going to tell you, I have that conversation with those Africans every time I go. And without exception, they tell me to accept Christ. And without exception, they fail to provide any biblical proof for the use of such terminology I'm here to tell you that even though this is the most popular response among those that call themselves Christians today it is the wrong answer there is absolutely no scriptural uh, basis for asking someone to accept Christ in fact, the only place that even remotely talks about accepting God in any form is what I read to you as my text in Job chapter 13. Now, we're going to go back and read these, that verse again, but we're going to read it in context with the other verses before and after it, all right? So if you want to follow along, turn to Job chapter 13. Job chapter 13, and we'll begin with verse number 1. 
Lo, mine eye hath seen all this. My ear hath heard and understood it. Job's responding to his friends who, who have in their self-righteous way have been blasting him. You wouldn't be in this condition if you weren't a sinner. And on and on they go. And so Job is now responding to them. And, and uh, so he, let's read on. What you know, the same do I also. I am not inferior. Not inferior. I know what you know. Surely would I speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. But ye are forgers of lies. You're forgers of lies. You're all physicians of no value. You're, you're physicians of no value. Oh, that ye would altogether hold your peace, and it should be your wisdom. All right, read. Hear now my reasoning, and hearken Hear my to, reasoning. to the pleading of my lips. Hearken to the pleading of my lips. Will you speak wickedly? Will you speak wickedly for God? And talk deceitfully. Will you talk deceitfully for him? Will you accept? Will you accept his person? Will you contend for God? Will you contend on behalf of God? It is good that he search you out, or as one man mocketh another, do you so mock him? He will surely reprove you if you do, do secretly accept person. Now, now listen, Job is chiding his friends. Who do you think you are? How arrogant. How proud. For you to think you can speak on behalf of God. Or that you are good enough that you could accept God. Job said that such an insinuation was akin to mocking the Almighty. Now, now are you hearing me? How can we, as humble flesh, the creation, accept Him, the omnipotent Creator? Who do we think we are? That we can just choose him or not choose him. Accept him or not accept him. It is absolutely the height of pride and arrogance for any human being to think that we have the right to accept God. The real problem with the idea of us accepting God. Not just that it's unscriptural, but that it is the exact opposite of what the Bible actually teaches. Because the Bible never teaches us to accept Christ. It teaches us he must accept us. Well, hallelujah. Let me give you some biblical references here. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth. Peter opened said, his mouth. He truth, said, of a truth, I perceive, I perceive that God, is, God no is no respecter of persons. Now, this was speaking about the Jews because in Peter's mind, Peter's just gotten a revelation. Peter has always believed the Jews were far superior to the Gentiles. That they were a greater race than the Gentiles. Are you hearing me? And now all of a sudden, God, has opened the door 
for Gentiles to receive salvation just like Jews. And boy, what a revelation that was to Peter. Of a truth, I perceive God is no respecter of persons. So in other words, God doesn't care about your race. Read, but you notice that's not a period. So the sentence continues. But in every nation. He doesn't care about your race, but let me tell you what he does care about. In every nation. He that fears him him and and works righteousness is accepted with him. Peter said, I'm going to tell you, here's the key. God doesn't care what your nationality is. God doesn't care what your race is. God doesn't care what your skin color is. But God does care how you're living. Amen. And if you will fear him and do what's right, then God will accept you. Isn't this amazing? Peter did not tell Cornelius, you need to accept Christ. But Peter did tell Cornelius, because of your righteousness and because of your fear of God, God has accepted you. Well, praise God. And so, my point is that we have to reach a place where God accepts us, not vice versa. This is, this is borne out in the scriptures. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 9. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. We may be accepted of him. Paul said that's what I'm striving for. I'm not trying to get others to accept him. I'm trying to get him to accept me. I want to live my life in such a way. I want to conduct my business in such a way. I want to do things in such a way that God will accept me. Hallelujah. Look again at at this verse in Acts. Let's go back. Acts 10, verse 35. But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And so it, it becomes obvious that the first thing that is necessary here is a fear of God. And listen, when you start saying you can accept Christ, that's the first sign to me you don't really fear God. You don't understand. You don't understand what you're saying. We're going to have to have a fear of God and church If there's anything that we have lost over the last several decades, we have lost a fear of God. We've lost a fear of God. And and again, you know why? It's because of the tradition. We Oh, God's loving. God's merciful. God is so full of grace. God doesn't care what you do. I want to tell you something. and, And you really need to think about this. When you say God doesn't care, how can you love and not care? Did you get that? How can you love and not care? If God doesn't care what you do, then I submit to you, God doesn't love you. Can I get a witness? Is there anybody here that that you love somebody, whether it be a spouse or a child or a grandchild? You love them. Would you dare say, I don't care what they do? Of course you care. Because actions have consequences. 
And the reason that you care is because you love. Love brings care. So when you start saying God doesn't care about how you live, God doesn't care about what you do, you're really saying God doesn't love you. I submit to you, he does love you and he does care. And the first thing that we've got to do is get a fresh revelation and baptism of the fear of God. Because you know what that fear of God's going to cause us to do? You notice how Peter worded this? Do you see the order he put it in? In every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness. Because you see, when you fear God, it causes you to want to do right. The fear of God brings about righteous works. Praise God. There are things we don't do because we fear God. Hello? The fear of God brings about righteousness. This is perhaps one of the greatest travesties of this whole doctrine of accepting Christ because it allows man to bring God into his life regardless of man's condition. Oh, so you're an alcoholic. That's fine. Just accept Christ. Oh, you're a fornicator. It's okay. Just accept Christ. Homosexual, no problem. Just accept Christ. Right? Isn't that what the world's teaching? It, it puts man in a place where you really become God. You can do what you want, live like you want, be who you want, and then you decide, do I want God or not? And it's not like that, my friend. It doesn't work that way. Well, praise God. What has to happen is there's got to be a change in our condition. And then God steps in and will help us and will save us. Now, now listen, I'm not teaching salvation by works. In fact, I really haven't even gotten to the real answer to the question yet as to what's got to happen in order for you to be saved, what you've got to do. But I'm just, I'm just telling you how to prepare yourself for salvation and first of all you've got to be accepted of him let's go back again the other scripture that we used as our text Genesis chapter 4 let's read the context of this Genesis 4 verses 3 through 7 and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect. God had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance Made fell. Cain mad. And the Lord said unto Cain, why, why art thou wroth? What are you mad about? Why is thy countenance fallen? Why, why are you sitting there pouting? If thou dost That's the fall, Riggin revised version, by the way. Read. If thou dost well, if thou, you thou do well, shalt thou not be won't you be accepted? And if thou dost but not if you well, don't do well, sin lieth it's because sin is crouching. That's the literal Hebrew word. Sin is crouching like an animal ready to pounce. 
Sin is crouching at your door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now listen, God said, this is, please don't forget the setting. Cain and Abel. We are way back at the very beginning. When I taught the lesson on Bible interpretation, um, which now that I think of it, that may have been the last one I taught. and the other, I don't know, but anyhow, that's what happens when you get old. Um, if you'll remember, I talked to you about the law of first mention and how important the first time a subject comes up. This is the first time that God specifically addresses this whole issue of acceptance. And God stated from the very beginning, if you do well, you'll be accepted. Not keep doing what you want to do, keep living like you want to live. Just continue on in your sin and I'll swoop down, you accept me, I'll come in, I'll take you the way you are. No. God established from the beginning, if you want me in your life, you're going to have to do what's right. You're going to have to do well in order for me to accept you. Not doing well has always been the key to God's rejection. Jeremiah chapter 14 verses 10 through 12. Saith the Lord unto his people, thus have they loved to wander. Now, now, oh, help me today, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Thus saith the Lord unto whom? This people. Unto whom? This people. He's talking to his people, not ranked sinners on the street, but even to his own people. They've loved to wander. They have not refrained their feet. Not refrained their feet. Therefore, the Lord doth Therefore, not the Lord doth not accept them. He will now remember their iniquity. He's going to remember their iniquity. Visit their sin. He's going to visit their sin. Then the Lord said unto Then the Lord said to me, to Jeremiah the prophet, Pray not for this people, for their good. Don't pray for me to bless this people. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. When they fast, I'm not listening. And when they, they offer burnt offerings. When they offer their offerings. And an oblation. I reject them. I will not accept them. Uh-huh. But I will consume, but I will them, consume by the them by the sword. And by famine. By famine. And by the pestilence. By pestilence. Do you see what God said? Now, now the Bible in basic English, this, this phrase, they've loved to wander. The Bible in basic English says they have been glad to go from the right way. Contemporary English version says, you don't even try to stay close to me. Good News Bible says they love to run away from me and they will not control themselves. Now this is what God said. God said to his own people, if you want me to accept you, you're going to have to straighten up. I'm not just going to accept you any old way. 
Listen, church, I've stressed it and stressed it. The number one characteristic and quality of God is his holiness. Amen. That, that takes precedent over every other attribute that he possesses. He is first and foremost a holy God. And as much as he is love, as much as he is compassion, as much mercy as he has, I'm telling you, number one, he's holy. And because he's holy, you can't just live any old way. And God just close his eyes and take you anyhow. Doesn't mean he doesn't love you. But he's not going to accept So our first job is to find acceptance. And if God will accept us, then we can be saved. Let me just remind you of something. Let me remind you of something. Before the Lord took on human flesh, before he became man, he had already announced that I've got to send somebody else first. And before the Lord in human form began his ministry, there was another ministry that had already started. That was part of God's plan of redemption. And we can't overlook it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Two of you do. Let me explain it to the rest of you. He said, I'm going to send my forerunner before my face. And he is going to prepare the way. We're talking about John the Baptist. Now, how did John prepare the way for the Lord to come? He preached repentance. To whom is he preaching repentance? To religious people. To people who thought they had it all together. To people who thought they were doing what was right. But John came along and said, repent. And when Jesus began his ministry, do you know what, his, you know what the theme of his ministry was? It wasn't healing. It wasn't miracles. Jesus was preaching the same message John preached. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. When he told his disciples in Luke 24, this is what I want you to preach. Once I'm gone, here's what I want you to preach. The very first thing that he commanded them to preach was preach repentance. You see, it takes repentance for God to accept us. God, God didn't transgress against us. You know, I think one of the best illustrations of this came from one of the pastors in Swaziland. He was talking to me about it. He said, you know, he said, of course, he said, I, I preached, I preached accept the Lord for years. For years I preached accept the Lord. But he said, I've come to realize that it really is arrogance to say that. 
He said, that would be as if my, my wife goes out and commits adultery and then um, I, I say, you know, I'd really like to be reconciled. I still love you. I'd like to put our marriage together. And she says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll accept you. He said, think about it. I'm not the one that sinned. How does she decide she's going to accept me? It's not about whether she'll accept me. She's the one that transgressed. It's about whether or not I'm willing to accept her now. And that's the way it is with us. God hasn't sinned against us. Why should we be the ones to decide whether or not we'll accept him? We're the ones that were born in sin. From the moment of conception, sin has been a part of our DNA. Are you hearing me? And yet we want to approach a holy God. It's not about whether or not we can accept him. But we've got to convince him that he can accept us. And you know how we're going to do that? The same way that errant wife is going to be reconciled to her husband. She's going to have to, number one, repent. I'm sorry. I was wrong. And I'm not going to do it again. That's the way you find acceptance. And that's what I'm telling you. That the first step for us to be saved, the first step, we got to repent. We've got to reach a place God's willing to accept us. And then once he accepts us through our repentance, then we can find out what we got to do to be saved. Are you with me? Yeah. Well, praise God. This is the key, my friends. We have got to reach a place that God can look down at us and say, I accept you. You know, even Esther the queen, didn't just barge into the throne room and say, you listen here, buster. Do you see, O oh king, I'm holding out the scepter to you? No. No. She might have been the queen, but she was not the king. And even though she was the queen, she had to find acceptance. Hallelujah. And that's what I'm trying to tell you, that we cannot be so arrogant as to think that anytime we get good and ready, in any condition that we want to be in, that we can just open our hearts and accept the Lord as our Savior and everything is all right from that day forward. It doesn't work like that. We are sinners. We are filthy. We've got a corrupt nature. We have got a tainted mind. We've got a rotten spirit. But there's a holy God that really does want to save us. He really does care about seeing us make it. He doesn't want us to be lost. But he cannot accept us in our current condition. And so we have got to find a way that we become acceptable in his sight. 
That's why the apostle Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy? What? What? Acceptable. Do you know, Paul said the only way we're going to be acceptable to God is if our bodies become a living sacrifice and we become holy. Then we become acceptable to a holy God. Hallelujah. And so it all begins with repentance. That's the first step. And, and listen to, to, to the saints of God. I know I said I was going to teach it like I'm teaching sinners, but I, there are a few things I need to throw in here to help you understand. But please understand, this is why when we get to John chapter 3 and Jesus tells Nicodemus about new birth, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, repentance is not in this new birth equation. All right, it got real quiet, so let's read it. Let's read it. John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. that came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Right. Nicodemus said unto so him. So Nicodemus wants to know. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What do you mean born again? Jesus answered, Jesus said, said, I'll tell you what I mean. I say unto thee, except a man except be born, a man of, be born water, of water and of the Spirit, and of the Spirit he cannot enter, he cannot the, enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is why I said repentance is not listed in this equation. He does list being born of water and born of Spirit. But listen to me. You can't be born of the Spirit, nor can you truly be born of the water if you have not approached God in repentance. Jesus has been preaching repentance all along. First mention, first mention, we don't get rid of details just because they're not there. He's not bypassing repentance. It's understood. The only way this is going to happen, you're going to have to repent. Are you understanding me? You, you can't just be born of the Spirit if you haven't repented. In fact, you know, we, we, we learn later in Scripture that Baptism is a burial. Paul said in two different places that we are buried with him by baptism. Right? And, and we know that being filled with the Holy Ghost is our resurrection. Right? Well, how can you be buried and resurrect if you've never died? And that's what repentance is. It's that old man. It's that carnal nature. It's all of those wicked thoughts. It's all of those terrible tendencies being put on an altar. Our bodies becoming a living sacrifice. And when we approach him in repentance, then he accepts us and then we can be born of water and born of the spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. This is what it takes. We cannot 
get around the requirements that Jesus set. Jesus made it clear, accept a man, be born of water. Everyone say accept. Accept a man, be born of water and of the spirit. He cannot. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's the rule. That's the established guideline. The guideline really in short is this. Man cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's the rule. You can't go there. That's the rule. But there's an exception to the rule. And the exception is I will let you in if you've been born of water and spirit. Not if you accepted me as your personal savior. Now listen to me. Too many people want to jump to verse 16. I've already quoted it. We, we, we'll, we won't go back and read it again, but too many people want to jump to verse 16. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. They, they want to jump right there into the middle of the conversation and ignore everything that's been set up to that moment. And you can't do that. You can't pull one sentence out of the center of a conversation and make sense out of it. You got to go back to when the conversation started. You got to find out what they're talking about. I know there have been times that I've walked into the middle of a conversation and made an assumption about what people were talking about. And I've had others do it to me. They've assumed I was talking about something that I wasn't even talking about. In fact, I've had it happen while I was preaching. I've had people come to, Pastor, you were talking about me, and when I, I never even thought about you. I know it hurts our ego to find out that people aren't thinking about us as much as we think they are. <laughs> But we, you know, again, it's arrogance that we think we're smart enough, we're spiritual enough, we can walk into the middle of Jesus' conversation with a man, take one sentence out of the middle of that conversation and build our doctrine on it and ignore everything he said up to that point. Listen to me. When he said in verse 5, you have to be born of water, you have to be born of spirit, he's not going to come along 11 verses later and say, forget all of that, all you got to do is believe. Hallelujah. And in fact, if I wanted, if I wanted to take the time this morning, I could take you John 3.16 and show you that believing is connected to both being born of water and born of the Spirit. He wasn't just saying believe it in your mind or accept me in your heart. But the kind of believing he's talking about Mark 16 and 16, he that believeth and is baptized. So that connects the believing of John 3.16 to the birth of the spirit of the water in John 3 and 5. Are you understanding me? Let scripture interpret scripture, right? So Mark 16, 16 connects being born of water to believing. John chapter 7. The Bible says, this spake he of the spirit, 
which they that believe on him should receive. Right? So John connects believing with the birth of the Spirit. So when you read John 3.16, you don't read it like all you got to do is make one mental consent. But the believing he's talking about there, the Greek word pistos, it is believing to the point of obedience. You got to obey what I said in verse 5. If you don't obey what I said in verse 5, you don't really believe. Hallelujah. So you want to know how to be saved? Jesus just told you there's only one way for you to be saved. You got to be born of water and you got to be born of the Spirit. And Peter sums it up perfectly in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 39. Let's read. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, men and brethren what, shall we, what do? shall we do? First mention, first time sinners ask how to be saved. And what's the answer? Then Peter said unto them, then Peter said to them Repent. first of all, you got to get yourself ready for God to accept you. First of all, you're going to have to repent of your sins. You're going to have to ask God to forgive you of your sins, and you're going to have to make up in your mind that with his help, you're not going back to that old lifestyle anymore. So let's start it here. Let's find a way to be accepted of him. Repent. And, and then once you've done that, do what? Be baptized, Be baptized, every one of you, one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I want to tell you today, I want to tell you today, if you want to be saved, don't try to accept Christ. Rather, repent of your sins and make yourself acceptable to him. And then be baptized in Jesus' name and receive the Holy Ghost. And that is the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? Let's stand today. I am not worried about accepting him. I'm concerned with him accepting me. That's what I want more than anything. Anybody else feel that way? Anybody else feel that way today? Hallelujah. Could we just lift our hands? Could we love the Lord right now? Could we let him know, Lord, I want to be holy. I want to be acceptable in your sight. Come on, let's talk to him. Let's talk to him. Let's talk to him today. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Lord, I want to be found acceptable in your sight. I want to be found acceptable, oh God. Hallelujah. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 
why don't we come stand around the front for just a moment I'm going to let you go um, temperatures are already dropping and I think moisture is already on the ground and conditions are liable to get hazardous but I want us to take a few minutes let's first of all let's, let's thank God for truth but then secondly let's really take a few moments and let God know Lord I want you to lead me I want you to guide me because I want you to accept me could we do that right now everybody could we just lift our hands talk to the Lord for just a few moments let's talk to the Lord for a few moments hallelujah 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 I love you Jesus I love you, Jesus.